Coming up in episode 48 of the Rampant Mumblings, my thought on the ridiculous rumours about a 4-inch iPhone, the ridiculous rumours about Apple ditching the headphone socket. Personally, I hope they do. I've got a review of Dragon Anywhere for iOS, and as always, Nemo's Hardware Store will be making an appearance as well. But the main question that everyone is asking, is Die Hard really a Christmas movie? Because... It does give you one of the best Santa laughs ever, courtesy of Mr. Alan Rickman. So let's go straight into all of this stuff about a four-inch iPhone. Really? Really? I mean, come on, seriously. If you want a small iPhone, there's one out there. It's called the iPhone 4. But what's really got me about all of this nonsense is that it's the analysts that seem to be controlling the news. What happens is a source familiar with the matter goes to someone like Business Insider or Ming-Chi Kuo. And I really do apologize if I can't get your name right if this podcast ever does appear on your radar. But I've got a bone to pick with you because... I've been doing a bit of detective work. Now, I happen to have looked back and done a bit of research. Now, Mr. Ming-Ji Koo sort of had a bee in his bonnet about Apple missing out on market share of smaller devices late last year, back in 2014. Earlier in 2015, Mr. Ko was quoted in several reports on several major websites saying that source familiar with the matter... And this is why I need to find the Sideshow Bob clip of where he's just standing on rakes and he's grumbling at the inevitability of the stupidity of it all. Said that a smaller 4-inch iPhone would be likely in April, May. Guess what? April, May came along and no 4-inch iPhone. He then changed his prediction to say it'll be sometime late this year in the fall. Guess what? That didn't happen either. And in his attempt to join the club of Mr. Gene Munster, who I'm going to come to in a minute, of it will arrive later on this year, Mr. Cryer has now changed his mind to say, well, it's going to be available somewhere between April, May, June, maybe, 2016. Basically, the guy has no idea. But what's worrying is that the market share analysts have stopped saying that word stop saying that word i should even say of market share instead they've sort of reworded it as devices now that's a little bit scary because they've stopped talking about market share ever since apple have said we don't care about market share now it's important to have a device for each category that was earlier on in the week. Now, later on in the week, Mr. Gene Munster, yes, him, the fabled, the Apple TV is coming soon. Honestly, it's coming soon. I promise you, it's coming soon, has now jumped on the bandwagon with some absolutely stellar, stellar reporting analytics. I don't know. But anyway, Mr. Munster did a survey for Piper Jaffrey of a thousand people, and of the results, 20% of consumers would prefer a 4-inch smartphone. 31.2% of Apple users are happy with a 4.7-inch form factor. 27.2% are happy with the iPhone 6S uh, form factor. 21.2% want something besides those three sizes. Hmm, doesn't that seem a little bit split 
sort of hedging your bets, sort of having people trying to sort of like tell you what they want instead of going out there buying a device that you want. It's exactly the same with cars. Some people want bigger, some people want smaller. At the end of the day, no matter what device you buy, there is always going to be a compromise. Now, you've probably heard this on many other podcasts, but there's not been any other podcasts that I'm aware of that have actually sort of asked, well, who did you ask? What was the demographic? What were the stats? What were the breakdown? Did you ask tech-savvy people? Were most of the people on the panel male or female? Where is the breakdown of the report? And there have been so many sites that have just jumped on this. It's driven me absolutely mad. What these sites all seem to forget is that, yes, Apple go bigger, Apple go smaller, but there's only a certain size you can go up to and there is only a certain size you can go down to before something becomes ineffective or unworkable. And I think even Apple realised that even with their with their somewhat fascination of making things slimmer. Now, there are some things that, uh, that lend themselves to being slimmer. Notebooks, laptops, iPads, all of those... I'm quite happy they make slimmer because they have a dimension to them that makes it usable on a different access. And I suppose this leads me on to the next story. In other news, tech sites have been agog at the idea that Apple would do away with the well, with the age-old standard of the 3.5mm jack socket. Me, personally saying, I hope they do. And that goes against everybody else out there. And I can hear you all screaming at me now saying, what do you know? I've bought a set of headphones that cost a couple of hundred dollars, so on and so forth. But hang on a second. What if Apple replaced that 3.5 millimeter jack with something more useful? Now, this hasn't really been sort of talked about on any uh, any shows. And what happened if it could give you better audio quality? What happens if it could give you better noise cancellation? What happened if there was some way that Siri accuracy could be increased because it had some noise acoustic profiling chip? All of these stuff we don't think about. We just tend to think about the fact that Apple's getting rid of something. And you know why? For an extra millimeter and that's just bonkers, because going back to what I've just said, some things have to be a certain size to be usable, do they not? So what if you could still use your 3.5mm headphones without a lightning port? Now, I had a bit of an idea that it would be too hard for Apple to create something that would go into the lightning port that would protrude, but nicely enough, that would also let you stick your 3.5mm headphone jack into it. Uh, I have to say horizontally. I always get, I always have to think about horizontally and vertically. It'd be something like a MagSafe adapter, but perhaps with a little bit more robustness and rigidity, or they might just go full-on MagSafe. That would be worth it. I mean, you could include a set of those in every iOS device, and all of a sudden everyone's happy. So that might be an idea. Now, I'm not saying Apple should do this. I simply believe that if Apple have got something there that could add something to the listening experience, make it better, or bring something to the iPhone, then why not? You know, technology has to change at some point, and Apple have shown in the past they're not afraid to do away with anything. Now, maintaining backwards compatibility, well, that's a whole different subject altogether, but you can guarantee somebody somewhere has bound to thought of it, surely. 
The Rampant Mumblings, operating on a no-win, no-fee basis. This week, I was lucky enough to get on the Dragon Anywhere for iOS first look beta testing program doohickey thing. Now, if you've ever listened to this show, you will know that I'm a huge fan of voice recognition and dictation. So much so that if I'm not using Siri, I use Dragon Dictate 5 on the Mac on a regular basis. Now... Once you get used to talking to your computer and mastering the Dragon Dictate commands, it really is so much quicker and easier than typing. Dragon Anywhere is a portable sibling of its desktop counterpart, scheduled to be released, well, sometime in the fall, which is obviously coming and going very rapidly. I managed to get on the beta testing experience, and so far, it's looking very, very solid. The old version of Dragon Dictate for iOS was... Well, it was a horrid affair. It was very much stuck in the iOS 5 aesthetic. Getting a very much needed iOS 9 style makeover, Dragon Anywhere not only looks better, but has more functionality than its previous incarnation. Thank the Lord I could hear everyone saying who knows what I'm talking about. It's been given a fresh coat of paint, keeping in line with the iOS aesthetics, and it fully utilizes the new keyboard layout on the iPhone 6 and 6S Plus. Sounds like something not worth mentioning, but you would be amazed at the amount of apps out there which haven't updated um, updated their apps to take account of the new iOS 9 settings. So how do you get going in Dragon Anywhere? So documents can be created within Dragon Anywhere, or you can import your documents from popular online file storage solutions such as iCloud Drive, Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, and so on. Documents, however, are limited to the following extensions, .docx or .docx. You can open a .doc, which seems a bit ridiculous. Also, you've got .rtf, .rtfd, and .txt, but notice, no support for Apple Pages, which is a bit strange given the platform has been released on. Documents need to be the exact file extension, otherwise they won't open, and like I said, file names ending in .doc and not .docx cannot be opened. Now, this is where document handling gets a bit funky, old-fashioned, or just damn right annoying, insert your your metaphor here. Now, whilst you can open documents from an online storage provider, it downloads a copy and saves it locally. When you save, which it does after every transcription event, it's not saved online, it's saved locally. So pretty much what you have to do is download the document, edit it, and then upload it which doesn't seem any more really better than sort of the old time when we used to email documents to ourselves because here you get into a horrible, horrible mess of different documents on different systems with different control revisions. It's mad why it simply cannot open the document from its source and then just save it. Um, hopefully, as this is a beta, they're going to address this. Editing documents with Dragon Anywhere. Well, after my testing, it's clear that Dragon Anywhere works best with the plain old text format, and there's a lot to be said for that. Be warned that if you do download a document such as .docx or .rtfd or .rtf and it has any formatting in it whatsoever, if you've added a, if you've added a header style, if you change a font size, paragraph spacing, letter spacing, anything at all, 
all of that is going to be lost when you import into Dragon Anywhere. So your best bet is if you are going to use Dragon Anywhere, keep in mind as best in mind for text only. But at least line breaks and paragraphs are kept. The main editing screen is nice, clear and concise. Gone is a persistent keyboard at the bottom as in the previous application and you can adjust the text rendering size from small, medium to large depending on how many words are on the screen. Unfortunately, the feature that made its predecessor rather nifty was text highlighting. So what that means is if you spoke a phrase and it recognized it wrong, you could tap on that phrase and see a list of selections. Here, you don't get anything like that at all. You are really, really left to use drag and dictate commands to their fullest. So I'll come to that in a second. When you are dictating, it's really, really fast and incredibly rapid, and the accuracy is pretty much uncanny, and this is where its bonus points are. I've done some testing at home. I've used the iPhone speaker, iPod and iPad. Sorry, not the iPod speaker, the iPad speaker and the standard Apple headphones. And they've even at home when it's quiet. And I've got to say, as long as I didn't stumble, stutter or do any things that I do on the podcast, the results are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. There's no dictation timeout either. So again, in the previous version, or if you use Siri, you're limited to about 30 seconds of dictation. Because it has a persistent connection, it does mean you can keep talking for as long as you want. But like I say, if you make a mistake, you do have to do things like, say, select old-fashioned keyboard, replace keyboard with mouse. And obviously, it will select that text and then replace keyboard all of that with mouse it's quite hard to explain but once you get used to doing things like go to end of paragraph cap that delete that scratch that it does get better over time now at the bottom left of the screen there's a handy little dialog box to say what can i say and you've got all the commands well sorry you have a fair amount of commands that you'd get on its desktop counterpart so much so that if, you, if you've got a basic grasp of using the desktop version, you're going to feel right at home here. The best thing as well is that there is a massively comprehensive help system, which is really easy to understand. And it's, and it's broken down into sections such as dictation, commands, auto text, correction, navigation, recording, and help within help. And like I say, all of the commands are cross-compatible with its desktop counterpart. So like I said, I've been putting it through its paces. I've been out walking in an airfield with my hood up, my microphone tucked away, and you know what? It still works. It wasn't as completely accurate as it would be in a very, very quiet room, but it was still more than usable to bash out a few emails, reply to a few tweets. Well, admittedly, you have to say the text, copy the text, paste the text. But for emails, absolutely fine. Have no problem with that. Unfortunately, there is one major downfall. And this is what happens with Siri, what happened with the previous version, is that if you lose your data connection, for whatever reason, anything you've said is lost. So you might have come out with the world's best literacy piece. You might have come up with the world's best quick-witted reply or death review statement or whatever. If your data connection goes, 
you've lost it. There's no retry, there's no buffer or anything like that. I have asked Nuance about this, and they said that there's no retry option for data security and privacy purposes. Not quite sure I'd buy that one personally. Now, bearing in mind, this does have its fair share of bugs at the moment, and the whole uploading, downloading file system is completely ridiculous. So much so that if you've edited a document on your phone and you try and upload it, you can't because Dragon will say there's already a file name existing on that location and the same as if you try to download it. There is one other nice feature that I do like, but with Dragon Anywhere, you do sense that it's starting to become a case of the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Any document you create locally, you can't access within Dragon Dictate 5 on the desktop, which is a real shame and a real, well, it seems to be sort of like a low-hanging fruit. Surely if I create a document on the iOS application, in this day and age of Siri, continuity, handoff, handover, and all those sort of other acronyms, why is it not available on Dragon? Yet there is good news if you're a desktop user. If you've created auto text snippets, which if you think of text expander where you type in a shortcut, for example, I've got colon em and that automatically expands that to be my email signature. You can do that within iOS and on the Mac, by the way, in the default system settings. Anything like that you create within Dragon Dictate on the desktop is automatically synced. But that's it. That really is the extent of the integration between Dragon Anywhere and your desktop PC. Now, I haven't had the Windows version. I'm going to try and get a hold of that because there's a few features that don't seem to make it over to the Mac platform, even though the Mac is more than capable these days. And uh, Dragon, well, Nuance, the company, really do seem to be focused on the corporate customer. But I'm going to save that rant for another time. Um, It's a whole... It's a whole argument about how they perceive their customer base to be, and I think they really just have a focus on the corporate a little bit too much. So, how am I going to make rate Dragon anywhere right now? It's quite hard to put a definitive figure on it, so I'm going to go 8 out of 10, purely because it's really, really good in terms of accuracy, but getting documents in and documents out is just so much of a faff It sort of puts me off using it, and I might just go back to using Siri, because Siri, for me recently, has gotten a little bit better. And that's something I didn't think I'd be saying for quite a while. The rampant mumblings, almost at 50 shows. That's a scary thought. Right then, you've probably got bored of listening to me droning on for the last 18 and a half minutes, so I'm going to hand you over to Nemo's Hardware Store. So John, over to you. A company called Usable, and that website is uzbl.com, has a bunch of cases for the iPad, every model, including the newer ones. And I'm currently testing the Shockwave iPad Air case. There's one for the Air and the Air 2, rugged iPad drop and shock protection. The cases cost $50 in the U.S., and they are available in a bunch of different colors. These were developed for schools where your kids are going to be dropping and flinging their portable devices across the room, bashing one another over the heads and fingers and knuckles, spilling things all over them. It's not full dip immersion protection, 
because the home button is still exposed. And let's look at the camera on the back. Yes, that's also exposed, but just about every other port and fitting and place where the kids could damage it is beautifully protected with cushy covering. There's a nice kickstand on the back with very good support in the horizontal landscape mode and nice flaps to cover the lightning port and also the headphone audio port. The best thing about it, in addition to the good value and the price and the styling, is that the clear screen on the front is at least as receptive to your touch using a stylus or your finger as the native capacitive glass on your iPad. I'm extremely impressed with how responsive the clear screen protection is. Here's some background on the company. Usable designed and introduced the first iPad case for kids soon after the release of the original iPad in April 2010. The company's products are now found in schools across the country protecting and cushioning Apple iPads. Seeking constant feedback from educators and parents, Usable has innovated unique design elements into its cases and stands, which has allowed schools and districts to standardize on the Usable brand. And what this means is that you can have them ordered with your own logos, and there's lots of ways to tell if your iPad is yours. They've got open backs, and they have a couple of different models. One more of a folio case, and the other is just a basic surround case. So go to the website. Only three products at the moment. Very competitive pricing, extremely durable, and easy to use. This case that I'm using right now, which again is called the Shockwave. So have a look at this, and keep listening every week to Nemo's Hardware Store here on our podcast, and please go to our website to see the links for this and all the products that we discuss every week. Thanks for listening. Back next week. Thank you, John, once again for another cracking Nemo's Hardware Store. More from John next week. Now, you can buy these cases from directly from the website uzbl.com for $49. You can get them on Amazon, and if you've got a Prime account, you can get them for $49. And here in the UK, they work out to be about £43.17p. Of course, all of this information will be in the show notes. And did you know you can help support the show by clicking on our Amazon link? By using our Amazon affiliate link, any purchase you make, and it doesn't just have to be something that we've mentioned on the podcast or website, will net us a very, very small amount of commission for whatever you buy. All you have to do is when you've clicked on our link is go through to your cart, check out and job done. It doesn't cost you anything extra. There's no extra work. There's no extra art charge added on top. There's no tick box to tick or untick. And the price isn't bumped up at the checkout. All you have to do is shop as normal. It really is that easy. So if you do a daily, weekly, monthly Christmas shopping, Easter shopping, or let's face it, we're probably going to be gearing up for Black Friday already at the moment. If you use Amazon, please consider using the affiliate link and helping to support the show. Well, I had planned to go a little bit longer on the podcast today, but here in the UK, we've got some of the worst winds recorded since almost records began. And as I'm recording this, I can actually hear the best parts and the worst parts of my roof, I think, flapping away into the distance. So all that remains to me, well, I've actually, no, I've got some news. Stay tuned for next week's episode because I've got a guy coming on who's going to tell you all about blockless. Blockless is a way to unlock your IPTV viewing. And I hate saying the word IPTV. But let me put it this way. If you're in the UK, 
you might want to watch Amazon USA because there's a lot more on it than what we have over here. Similarly, for our American listeners, if you've ever wanted to watch, I don't know, the NFL or NHL games, but you're in a blackout area, if you've ever wanted to watch BBC iPlayer, you can do by using Blockless. I'm going to have the guy on next week. He's going to be coming in, tell us about what it does, how it does it, and what's in it for you. And best of all, if you go to blockless.com, you can get a three free day trial for free. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to have news about another show that I might be working on as well. Details are still to be confirmed. Hopefully it's going to be a nice bit of a big one as well. So if you're interested, if you've got an app, a website, a program system service, or whatever you'd like to have reviewed, drop me a line. And how can you get in touch with me? You can do that by getting a hold of me via Twitter at OceanSpeed and via essentialmac.co.uk. If you have tried to get in contact with me via the website and you've had no reply, I can only apologise. I sort of realised that for some reason my email volume had gone down from the website and yes, the curse of Media Temple had hit me yet again and for some reason I wasn't receiving emails. But that's all been fixed now. So if you do want to send me an email, go to essentialmac.co.uk, click on the contact me link at the top there and any email will come through to me and you'll get a reply. And don't forget, you can leave a review for the show on iTunes if you've enjoyed it, even if you haven't. Who's going to break the streak of six weeks now without any reviews for the show so please 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 take a moment i know it's a pain in the ass i know it's not particularly easy to do but if you can you can guarantee two things number one it's going to be muchly muchly appreciated and number two i'll read out your review on this very very show so until next time sorry to have to cut this podcast short the lights are flickering even more i'll be back soon hopefully god willing inshallah and all the rest of it with another rampant mumblings thank you very much again to john for another nemo's hardware store segment thank you very much to serenak for helping me write the reviews for essentialmac.co.uk and to anyone else who's helped me along the way and all it means for me to me to say really is ta-da and I'll see you next time.